Hey, common scientists. This week we're coming to you with the topic of urbanization. Now, this episode will probably have some twists and turns as we talk about some history of urbanization, how we've gotten to the point where we're at today, as well as some of our thoughts in general on urbanization. What does it mean to to have an urban center uh, nearby and maybe kind of further away? So I want to start off with a preface. Uh, We are common scientists. This means that we bring our own research to the table, we refine, we ask questions, and we discover together about uh, what it means to be a common scientist and today in the space of urbanization. So I want to kick it off with now a question for the boys. Um, I'm curious if you guys consider yourselves to have lived primarily in urban centers or not. Do you want to start on that, Andre? Sure, definitely. Uh, I definitely feel as though I have been like a city slicker my entire life. <laughs> yeah. I spent some time in St. James, which is not too far from Rochester, where we're recording right now. Uh, I'm living the farm life. And I also spent some time as a kid in Cabot, Arkansas, which was, that's definitely not any sort of metropolis or anything, but these are, like, St. James is still pretty close to the Twin Cities, Mm -hmm. and Cabot is still, like, a city, even though I did spend a lot of time on a farm out there as well, but even when they, then still, it was still, like, they could tell by the way I talked and acted and thought and the things that I was surprised about, the things that I was used to having access to and was utterly, um, you know, (laughs) lost without... Um, but yeah, down in Arkansas, they definitely made me feel like a very, an urban knight for sure. <laughs> so when you say you spent time, are you talking years of your life? Are you talking months, weeks? Yeah, so I spent, for the, so there was years where I spent summers in Arkansas, okay. in Cabot, Arkansas. And then even when you go to Little Rock, it's kind of like, it's a city, but it's like, okay, like, yeah. it's a different world down there. And this was obviously, you know, I was a kid, so a long time ago, 15 years ago or so. And then um, St. James would be just like, I had family down there. So it'd be like here and there, we go down there um, and just kind of experience like a whole new world for us. Yeah. <laughs> but the rest of the year you were in the uh, metro Yeah. East side of St. Paul. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Aiden? Uh, I'm just uh, quick, curious, Dre, before I, I go into my response, uh, you said that you got, you were tipped off as, a, as an urbanite. What, what sorts of signs were you given off? Um, yeah, I think kind of like I alluded to is a lot of the, um, the, what are, what's the word I'm looking for? But just like the, the, uh, access to things. There's just things that like driving 30 minutes to get to certain stores, not having certain stores <laughs> anywhere within like two hours, like, yeah. you know, this one drop or whatever, or a little rock, things like that, uh, where I just was completely out of my element, um, spending like tons of time just outdoors like kind of doing nothing like nothing really to do on like in the cities it's like i was always playing basketball at this community center or in this program we're doing this or doing that or going to uh like a vertical endeavors or something like that but yeah down there it was just like oh we, we gotta go find something to do and i was just <laughs> like all right <laughs> very cool <laughs> that's too funny man um yeah i i can relate to that in uh, in my experience, uh, within both spheres somewhat. So I grew up, uh, my family traveled around a bit when I was little, but then, uh, from like 10 onwards, we lived in 
Grant Township, which is, and I went to Matamita High School, which is a very suburban high school. Um, and so most of the, my, the other people that I went to school with, uh, and Dre also went to school with, were very uh, suburban, like the kind of classic uh, Minnesotan suburbia where uh yeah there's the athletics the grocery stores within like a 10 minute drive um yeah just like on the urban edges but then i uh grant township is a little bit uh kind of in an in an intriguing space uh because the minimum acreage or the minimum number of acres that a like a property can be within grant i think is five Mm. So it's definitely more spread out and it's like, so it's right on kind of the, like there's sub suburban is the definition of kind of in between urban and, uh, outside of urban, like rural, but I'm not sure if there's a term for kind of in between suburban and rural, because that's kind of where Grant Township lied. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of horse farms nearby or, uh, regular farms nearby like in my back like right behind my parents uh home there's a farmer who grew corn and all these things um yet i went to a very suburban high school and had uh a lot of those experiences too so yeah i'm not quite sure how i'd classify myself i think uh today i'd definitely say much more urban like i'm much more uh, excited about the urban experience and and uh we're moving so lauren and i are moving to minneapolis soon so yeah very excited for that definitely yeah that is definitely interesting interesting perspective that i never really considered growing up so close to like obviously spending a lot of my childhood in matamita but then being close to grant township as well and i had no idea that that was a requirement of the acreage that's kind of cool yeah, I think so. The county too that we live in has the most uh, horses per capita of any county, at least in Minnesota, if not the nation. Whoa. So it's like, yeah, it's this weird kind of space where it's like, yeah, we're definitely in suburbia in a lot of ways, where there's a lot of the, the uh, like grocery amenities. stores and things like that and amenities nearby, but there's also like big tracts of land. And, yeah, yeah. So it's a weird kind of space huh yeah i um i don't know if i should say i have you guys beat or like (laughs) (laughs) exactly what but i grew up in while it's a little complicated the property line of our house like what decides one town versus the other town goes about straight through our house so our address was for Frazy, Minnesota, F-R-A-Z-E. A lot of people are like, oh, that's Frazzy. I'm like, no, it's it's, <laughs> fra- it's Frazy. Uh, anyways, the population of Frazy is 1,340 people. That's small. And uh, the town that I actually would consider it more accurate to where I lived, which was even closer, so the center of that town was only four miles from my house, was Vergus, Minnesota, and Vergus, Minnesota, which is what, while it's not our official address, is probably where I consider to be uh, my hometown in a lot of ways, has a population of 358. So uh, I grew up in an isolated, it's like, like literally that's the definition, is like less than some number that both those numbers are below, so an isolated population. 
So the nearest Walmart, because that's, I guess, a cultural reference that I think most people get, (laughs) was, I think, like... (laughs) 35 miles away or 40 miles away something like that from my address and I drove also 35 miles to go to school in a neighboring community that was a little bigger per Minnesota with a population of around 3,400 so all of those though quite uh quite rural um and some of them isolated so for my mom for all of her C-sections, she had to drive to the nearest hospital that could handle the complexity of her care because she had uh, five biological children. And so she had to drive about an hour to Fargo, North Dakota, the nearest metro area, uh, which isn't even in Minnesota, right? So the metro area that I grew up knowing was Fargo, uh, which is in North Dakota. So when I think of urban urbanization or urban centers, it's funny to hear you guys like oh i lived in grant township and it had horses and five acres and like and also i'm sure there was a super target within 15 minutes of you or something so i just it's funny to hear like your uh understanding because growing up i knew of the twin cities is what i knew it as and still am like struggling to think about it differently than that but I knew of the Twin Cities as just this big metro like huge area and it didn't matter at all which like whether it was Stillwater or Minneapolis or St. Paul or whatever Matamira like all of it to me was the Twin Cities so I used to think it was so hilarious and still am learning um, that the culture within the city can be so different in just like these small towns when you just cross some arbitrary line yeah that's a super apt uh i mean yeah just a completely different experience growing up uh and also just a super apt observation is just the heterogeneity and that sounds like a big word but it just means that the diversity of uh of cities is is huge there is is a lot to uh, I, I like to, I mean, it's kind of funny. I always say the cities. So we are from Minnesota and live in Minnesota. And uh, the two large metro areas are St. Paul and Minneapolis. So a lot of people people from other places where there's the, the one big city, it's, it just sounds strange to my ears because culturally I just c- grew up saying the cities. Um, if you're outside of Chicago, it's the city, right? <laughs> Singular. But uh, for me with the cities, there's... A lot of diversity uh, in terms of uh, the socioeconomic statuses of different parts of the of the cities, uh, as well as the natural environments. Um, yeah, so it's just yeah, that just made me made me think a little bit. Yeah, no, certainly, and I think part of the reason that I thought of this cast idea is because of moving soon to now what's really truly a metropolitan area, the Minneapolis St. Paul type community uh, and all of the, all of the neighboring, I don't know if you would call them all suburban. um, Some of them certainly seem urban to me, but I climbed in population to Rochester, Minnesota, which has a population of 115,000. When I went to college, it was the first time I ever parked in a parking ramp 
It was the first time I ever got a parking ticket for parking in a parking ramp. Uh, and now to Minneapolis, which has a population of 420,000. So from 358, I've really moved up in in population. <laughs> in, in population numbers. Wow. Yeah. Does that make you guys think or feel anything? Uh, one thing it makes me think of is so... Uh, there's this mathematical principle called the Pareto principle, uh, where about 20% of the input of something tends to have 80% of the effects. And it applies to uh, a lot of different things. And one of the things are like, so one example would be 20% of the people uh, in a nation tend to produce 80% of the GDP. Um, it's also been applied to in business, trying to find out what are the most high reward activities, like 20% of the activities have 80% of the output. Um, one thing with population is, is in cities, it tends to also follow that distribution. So 20% of the cities tend to have 80% of the people. So like, as far as the, the rise in population, it can be just, uh, like, uh, I don't know how you, I mean, it's just exponential as far as you, uh, grow in city size. So it, like the differences are huge between, like you said, most of these small, tiny towns and big metropolitan areas and the cities too, are not even like a big one compared to other ones. Globally, you got Mexico city and, and Tokyo, which has just like, I mean, I think like 40 million, I'm also just pulling that number out of my butt. So do your common science <laughs> research and 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 figure out what the population of Tokyo is because it is just extraordinary. Yeah, no, it's it's funny you say that because I'm I'm literally looking at a graph that looks quite exponential. I don't know if you guys can kind of see that. We'll put po we'll post it um uh, or link it so that you guys listeners could pull it up if you want to. But it looks quite uh quite exponential or at the very least, very linear with a lot of growth uh, between 1900s and 2040 in the Minnesota in Minnesota's population distribution. So certainly we're seeing more urbanization in Minnesota and uh, worldwide that's also been a trend. Um, but I want to dive into the word urbanization because we've talked a little bit about urban centers and our own um, our own evolution of urbanism within our lives. We haven't really talked about what that word actually means. Do either of you guys want to take a stab at that? Jay, care, care to take a stab? <laughs> I'm just going to toss that I one over to you. <laughs> the definition that I have. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Maybe I have a definition. Let's see. Urbanization can be seen as a specific condition at a set time, e.g. the proportion of total population in, or area in a city or a town, or it can be seen as an increase in that condition over time. Therefore, urbanization can be quantified either in terms of the level of urban development relative to the overall population or as the rate at which the urban proportion of the population is increasing. Cool. Yeah, so... I have also a definition that I can read. Go ahead. Shouts out to knowing how to read. Uh, <laughs> it's a big one. It's a big one. It's huge. <laughs> um, mine is 
feels a little less clunky. I don't know. I'll have to compare sources. But it says urbanization is the process by which rural communities grow to form cities or urban centers and, by extension, the growth and expansion of those cities. And um, I think that gives, in in my mind, a good picture of what I what I see when I think about urbanization of people moving to the city, of the city growing. Um, Why do cities grow? So that's an awesome question. I actually read a lot about that specific reason, but I'm wondering if we can table it, put a pin in that for, <laughs> okay. yeah. for a moment uh, and talk a little bit about the world history of urbanization. So urbanization began in ancient Mesopotamia uh, during the Uruk period, 4300 to 3100 BCE. And um, it's for reasons scholars have not yet disagreed or agreed upon. So to answer your question, at least in ancient times, Aiden, there is and are arguments about why or why not urbanization started. However, what is clear throughout world history, rather than boring you guys with all of the details, is that urban centers have risen and repeatedly fallen. Uh, so it's been really rare for urban centers over world history to survive for long periods of time, largely due to overuse of resources. So fingers crossed, ours. Uh, yeah, the, the twin cities stick around <laughs> through our lifetimes. <laughs> so maybe we figure it out, and maybe we don't. But I was fascinated by that um, by that piece of of information and wondered what you guys might think about the sustainability of cities yeah that's an interesting concept that i don't feel like i've heard very often because i i feel like when we usually hear about the fall of great societies it's because of some sort of internal conflict or i don't know like the fall of rome is a classic one or just some sort of invasion or whatnot but it's interesting to think of us as like a locust that comes in and drains all the resources and then well, now that's just unlivable. <laughs> Moon right. next, yeah. you know, next area to um, urbanize and all that good stuff. That's uh, that's really fascinating. I haven't really thought of it in that light um, very often. Uh, regarding sustainability, I think definitely we can figure it out. And one of the more promising, but really simple and just biological evolutionary things is that as women well just people in general become more educated they have less kids so would like all these like i think we went from a place where child mortality was so high that you had to try to have as many kids as possible and we kept doing that even past the industrial revolution and all that but now we're seeing as become more educated and as we have our own pursuits and kind of extend this sort of adolescence that we have this own growing period as individuals as opposed to just pouring into our progeny at a young age um we can we have less kids now right i think the average i don't know what it's around two though now it's really it's getting pretty low at least in the western world and mm-hmm. i think that will be really big on sustainability obviously just population growth coming to a stale or um stagnating and then also since we are doing so many amazing things with science and that leads into architecture and the ability to build high and low. So I think eventually we'll just, just like New York and so many places have developed subway systems. It has become, and I've, if you've ever been to major cities like that anywhere around the world, 
it's not just like you go down and you take the subway it's like no there's, there's a whole mall down there like there's yeah. so much down there and we'll just keep yeah. leveling that off as time goes on and from my research it's a much safer much more sustainable thing to go down than up because obviously it's just crazy wind shear and gravity and nuts the crazy thing yeah. something yeah. up in the air but also even going into like vertical agricultural farming or agriculture and all that type of stuff where we're not taking up all this land and and as we kind of figure out what we're doing with climate change and um the farm big agriculture and these cows and all that and we kind of go more into figuring out that how to make plants more sustainable and take up less land then we'll just have these whole contracts i imagine in the future where it's simply a farm going up to the sky and then we'll have whole kind of um communities within one building where you can get every single thing that you need just in that one area and obviously you will branch out but that's just what it is so that's how i see us growing into sustainability and i definitely think we'll figure it out if we don't blow ourselves up in the process (laughs) wild i man you have such a positive outlook (laughs) not to say that mine's so negative but i don't like i struggle to see that future and maybe it's because i've never lived in an urban center yet uh and growing up we talked about an urban center we talked about specifically quote unquote the cities the minneapolis st paul area as a wasteful uh democratic i grew up in a strong republican home uh like yeah, wasteful. I mean, did, did <laughs> wasteful I say that again? Let me, let me say that again. Uh, <laughs> like, we grew up hearing about these city slickers who were, like, wasting Minnesota's resources. And I think I am still learning how wrong that was in a lot of ways. Uh, because I think there's just such a difference in population that the conception of use of resources is even hard was even hard to understand and i'm still getting my head around it because growing up then i had this idea that people in the city didn't care about the environment or people in the city didn't um care for nature and now that i am more i think environmentally conscious than i ever have been and i'm moving to an urban center i'm like oh man how can i maintain these values in an urban center because on the one hand I could move into a a small apartment and be using less space which is a resource and I can be conscientious of my water intake and my co2 and turning off lights and all the things but by proxy I maybe I'm in an apartment building now and I know that that also uses more of other resources so it's been this dance that I've been doing mentally to try to reconcile with my trained learned idea of what it means to live in an urban center and how wasteful or not it could be but now what i'm learning is that it could potentially be like you said dre even more sustainable but i don't know that there's an answer yet to that question or that idea yeah so that both of your the points from both of you reminds me a lot of uh I read this National Geographic that was written or article that was written by a landscape architect and it was definitely an optimistic vision for the future I would say Uh, however it had a lot it echoed a lot of what Dre said and then 
also addressed a lot of the sustainability concerns that Lauren brought up based on her uh, experiences growing up in, in rural America. And, and obviously that's a whole nother topic, but um, yeah. So in that he uh, describes this vision of ha- these urban centers that are uh, part of these hubs uh, with kind of like this hub and spoke kind of model where um, there are these urban centers that are these hubs that are highly dense and people are living uh, down and up with vertical vertical farms, green roofs to reduce the uh, effects of excess heat that might come from having concrete around and things of that nature, as well as uh, taking in carbon dioxide. And then uh, those urban centers are connected to each other via uh, like high-speed train or hyperloops or whatever else, some sort of public transit system. And then uh, the wild thought here that I don't know how the rural communities, how big a a fan they would be, uh, is to return the vast majority of our land. I can't remember the exact numbers proposed, but it was like 70 or 80 percent to wilderness. And so having uh, humans in these dense centers and then having wilderness uh, was proposed as being one of the uh, more sustainable ways to manage having large numbers numbers of people. Uh, yeah, so I thought that that was kind of a definitely an optimistic vision for the future. Um, but yeah, also incorporated a lot of what Dre was uh, describing. But then to your point, Lauren, about the your experience growing up in like in a rural community, I think it's it's no secret that there is a an urban and rural divide in America, uh, as as well as other countries, and it's been like a historical uh, trend. But I think it's especially like now the the power is very focused in these urban centers, and so there, I mean, there is a lot of reason for many rural communities to be, uh, yeah just frustrated uh so anyways it just evoked a lot of um like yeah thoughts in me but lauren uh as far as your experience goes how how has it how has it been have you like do you do you go back to your community and and witness any changes um as far as attitudes go since you since you were growing up or yeah Well, (laughs) first, first, I want to like respond a bit to what you were just saying and explaining, and then I can talk a little bit more about my experience. My first thought, as you were describing the hub and spoke model, was of Hunger Games, and (laughs) I was thinking in my head, I'm like, oh man, that doesn't sound like it will go over well with the rural populations uh but maybe i don't know you know it it, and who knows maybe there could be a way that it would happen really sustainably over time and people would be excited about it it might make sense even with the amount of population that seems to be flowing still into urban areas despite what Mm -hmm. dre had mentioned earlier um a decrease in the rate that the population seems to be growing in the United States. Now, common scientists do your research. This 
this crap well, we're talking about is really complex. So Dre was saying that the population growth overall is starting to right. slow down, but the growth of cities relative to the uh, the the urban population relative to the rural population is growing. Is growing. So more people from urban rural areas are moving. Exactly. To yeah. Isn't that what I just said? Um. I no. thought you were having a problem with what Dre said. No, I was I was pointing out exactly what you just said. So, oh, okay. anyways, I don't uh, remember saying any of this. So, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of the imperfections of language, and we'll get there. Uh, anyways, so so urbanization. Okay, so that was my Hunger Games comment. My tangent of the Lauren who loves to read novels for teenagers and then to respond to your question Eden I don't know that my rural communities perception or perspective has changed but I'm not very plugged in to my rural community um mm. I didn't have a super great experience with the rural community in some ways and so once I found myself Outside of that, I was really excited to just be, like, diving in and, and fully engaged with my larger community and building my own world and life. Um, and I think that made my own perception change a lot of what urbanization means, of what it means to be, like, a quote-unquote city slicker. But I... I don't know that my community um, back home feels so differently now, but again, I'm not very plugged into that community, so I can't, I certainly cannot speak on on their behalf. And I did have um, awesome experiences in some areas for sure, so I don't want to discount rural living because it also enabled me to have awesome relationships with my teachers and, and business owners and things of that nature, but uh, it was limiting in some ways, especially for the vision that I saw in the world. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What What are some of the, the pros of rural living? I think that my house back home has the best water, like t tasting the <laughs> fresh, clean <laughs> water in the world. And actually, it, uh, it might be like a little true. Let me, let me, let me explain. Uh, we had a, a ground well of our own. And so this is something that people in the city are probably less familiar with because I think you all drink city water. Um, but yeah, we had our own like well, which had, uh, yeah, just water tapped into like groundwater. And um, the lake that I grew up on is the second or third clearest lake in the state of Minnesota. And Minnesota also has uh, an abundance of lakes. And I think it, we call it the land of 10,000 lakes, right? But I think in just my county alone that I grew up in, there were 10,000 lakes. So, and I can double check the numbers, but... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. Like, that's yeah, not true. Not Are you sure? Yeah, there's no way. Minnesota has like 11,000 lakes or something. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna check to see how far I was off, but um, you're off. <laughs> well, that's good to call me out. 
Okay, okay. So clearly not ten thousand. Way inflated, but still three hundred seventy-eight. Magnitudes. <laughs> Magnitudes. Okay. Magnitudes okay, different. In the, like in the mind of someone who's just still driving around, lakes. like running into lakes. No, no, That's I feel you. Probably, you, know, you probably got it ingrained like as a kid. You're like, man, there's like every corner. I bet you there's ten thousand just in my city. This <laughs> is the county of ten thousand lakes. <laughs> it's all good. I feel no, you. God, I'm really glad you. I'm really glad you called me. <laughs> Definitely not 10,000, but it just seemed like you're probably so right that growing up, I was like, there are so many lakes. Yeah. So many lakes. So, but 378 in Becker County, so that's a lot. It is a lot of lakes. A lot of lakes. So common, I would say those are my. Common scientists, it's valuable to have friends around to call you on your crap. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yes. So, anyways, the 378 lakes. <clears throat> not 10,000. Those were definitely a, a positive of of rural living. And then I think to being able to get out of the town, which was a tiny town, but to, to go home and be home and away from the world it felt was sometimes and is still when I get to visit home. One of my one of my favorite things about having a rural a rural place to call home still at least a childhood home. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, I mean, you didn't go into it because of the 10,000 10, 10, likes thing, but you were starting to talk about the actual science behind water quality, I think. That's what you alluded to. Um, yeah, so I just, I mean, the main, the main piece of it being that, like, groundwater and being able to tap into fresh groundwater um, that's not in a reserve but is flowing. So we had underwater, like... Mm. Uh, flowing mm. water. Yeah, it's not still. Right, is growing bacteria um, on it. Yeah, <clears throat> is is cleaner through some. Well, I don't want to say cleaner because city water is cleaned. Also, it's just different because it's like naturally cleaned, and then you can also add your own filtration. Yeah. but and there's a uh, different taste to it. Right. For sure. Right, for sure. Yeah. So. Well, whenever I went out to the suburbs, like Grant County and stuff like that, I you guys had some sort of different water and i was just like this is so stinky and weird like every time every time i washed my hands i was like what does that smell like who's in here like tooting like <laughs> which is probably just like i mean i'm sure it's something in the water but it could be too yeah. like natural gases or something like being yeah, attached totally. to like running down the same kind of i don't even know i don't know shit about groundwater but yeah. something down there with it i don't know but it was so stinky to me i always come, go back to because like, even hilarious. like i lived in Matamidi um for like middle school high school age but even that was, like, really close to the cities. So I don't think our water really tasted. Like, when I moved from the inner cities, I don't remember there being a big shift there. But then when I went out into, like, the farther out, I don't know. Like you said, I don't know if you call those suburbs or what you would call some of those farm areas. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, this water is very stinky and yeah. not good at all. And I would be like, and, well, and even, too, like, you guys, I always associate it with, like, being wealthy. But now I'm seeing, like, you guys also kind of needed, like, the water that comes out of the fridge and the extra, like, spout that people would have out in those areas mm, where it's mm, like, we never like had those. Filter. We just drank out the yeah. tap and it didn't really taste. I'm sure to you, specifically, Lauren, it would have tasted much different. But for me, I grew up on city Being water, to go yeah. to Montemidae kind of the same but then right. go out a little bit farther and it's like this water is not good yeah. <laughs> something was not filtered i'm yeah. sure everyone i'm sure many people who have traveled at least have had that experience where you try someone else's water and you're like oh yeah no question this? at the uh minnesota state fair which i think is the largest state fair 
by daily attendance at least. I think so. Um, they in the U.S. In the U.S., yeah, they had a they had this water tasting bar mm. at one of the at one of the uh, exhibits where they had water from Duluth, Minnesota, and water from all these different areas in Minnesota. Uh, Duluth's tasted nice. I gotta say, Duluth has some good water. Yeah, Duluth I mean, has you know, like here, all those sturgeon and lamprey, <laughs> even know. with yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, all this conversation of water uh, just makes me think too of what where cities arise and some of the biggest challenges that cities have faced um so you look at a map cities tend to be by a body of water a river or a lake um that's because we need water to to live like we need to drink it so might as well uh settle pretty darn close to it uh, as well as to grow food and other things uh so yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. Uh, the yeah, just you look at any city or town, even there, it's almost guaranteed to be on at least a little stream. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I bet you the I don't have. Do you know what the percentage of capital cities that are on a river? I bet you it's like crazy high. I have no idea. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing a number, but I bet you it's like 85 at least. It's, it's not 10,000. It's not 10,000 <laughs> percent. Mean, it's not 10,000 percent. That's accurate. But um, yeah, um, sorry, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, just, I, I mean, I think about anyone that I can think about, Minneapolis, St. Paul, on a river, London, River Thames, uh yeah, anyone that I think of at least is is on a river no or question. a lake. Mm-hmm. Especially some of those more, um, those older ones, more ancient ones, are always going to be on like mm-hmm. some sort of Ganges or Nile or something like that. Right, for, for sure, sure. Rhine, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I think to get to the idea a little bit about what brings people to an urban center, why urbanization happens, mm-hmm. um, is often talked about like being jobs and prosperity and access to resources that there are just a lot of pull factors into into the city areas does that resonate with you guys at all oh for sure yeah uh yeah i think about like your conversation and your personal experience uh about having a walmart 45 minutes away there's something to be said about being able to spread the cost amongst a lot of people and mm-hmm. and be able to diversify yeah. responsibility. Yeah, no question. No question. It's definitely, like you said, you could either break it down to either resources or opportunity, whichever word you want to use. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely, that's what it's all about. And like you take the, now obviously the world is much more connected and you, whether it be just via the internet, whether it be Amazon delivering anywhere, whether it be Walmart being in every small bum f you know except for you apparently it was 30 minutes away you said for i think 40 40 Thir- minutes away Thir- <clears throat> i don't know it depends how fast you drive yeah but essentially walmart's are pretty much everywhere and but i think i going back to that i i feel like that should be like a recognized standard unit it's like how far away are you from a walmart that should be something standardized and codified yeah, yeah. for sure so when i applied for medical school the first time they um want you to classify your living and you can designate yourself as having grown up in a medically underserved community yeah and you have to justify it you have to write out uh 
like 300 characters or 500 characters, whatever it is, to justify why. And there aren't a ton of metrics. You can look up what a rural or an isolated population is considered. And of course, where I grew up was considered isolated. Mm -hmm. But justifying being medically underserved is much harder, despite for me knowing that some of the clinicians that I might see rotated between maybe a hundred miles of several different clinics that they saw and were never there full time at each clinic. So that's just one example. And then the other example of my mom having to drive about an hour uh, to give birth to the last four of us kids. So I think that's another fascinating thing when you said the Walmart thing. I'm like, man, yeah, there aren't a lot of metrics for, and maybe there are, but maybe not so standardized. It doesn't seem um to talk about that like how how far are you from the nearest walmart or Mm -hmm. like how far are you from this this care that you could receive definitely going and i think with whether urbanization how long it will continue i think by 2100 it's supposed to go from like 50 percent of the population to like 70 percent of the world's population or something like that will be in urban areas but Thinking about how there are, uh, we all, because we're all at least, we either have been spent a certain amount of time in the cities or we know people, like we have close friends that grew up in the cities. And obviously with the internet, with social media, like the world is so connected that you're going to see, like you're, you can be exposed to pretty much anything in the world and feel like you understand it, even if you haven't experienced yeah. it. And where I'm going with that is that we all know somebody who was raised in the cities, who's ready to get out and like find some space and find some acreage and find some quiet. And that's a real thing. And one of the reasons why I feel that that might become more common is simply because of social media and because of Amazon and because of the ability to work remotely. It's just that you don't have, you don't need all these resources. These resources are now remote. These resources can now come to you. You don't have to drive 150 miles to the nearest hospital or anything like that. Um, in 2021 so we might see a little bit of that dip some a little bit of that um reverse and that makes a lot of sense because with urbanization comes pestilence overcrowding um for especially historically well it still happens today for sure around the world for sure but even america like obligatory migration into cities happens and that's how you force people into slums uh and all this type of stuff so there's all these things and there's obviously um, environmental factors such as the pollution that cities create, the urban heat Air islands. Quality. Yeah, so I heat read islands, yeah. a National Geographic article called Urban Threat, and yeah. they say that two of the most pressing problems facing the world today come together in urban centers, one being poverty and two being environmental degradation, and they go on to explain that to generally mean poor air and water quality, insufficient water availability, waste disposal problems, Mm -hmm. and high energy consumption that exacerbate, um, or that are exacerbated by the increasing population density and demands of that urban center. So, and another, uh, just to add to, that's kind of, uh, something that's thought about less is, uh, I think it was Houston, uh, one of the, one of the reasons why there was so much issue with the hurricane was because there were a lot of wetlands originally, but then they paved over them, and so oh. there wasn't as much availability for drainage. Like the oh, water okay. gets yeah, stuck yeah. on the concrete, right, and then it can't go anywhere. Um, so that was another 
another issue with the concrete jungle. Speaking of Houston, this seems like a good moment to throw in that actually Texas has the largest state fair at 225 million people visiting. Minnesota's is second at 200 million. You looked it up. Or 2 million. I think Minnesota's the largest by daily attendance, though. So... Um, according to readers.com blog, biggest okay. state fairs, that's not true, but obviously readers.com blog could certainly be wrong, but they say the state fair of Texas comes in at 2.25 million visitors and Minnesota is 2 million visitors a day. I, I don't know, probably total, but I, I didn't yeah. read the article. Okay. <laughs> I Googled it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Texas. We were, I'm sure we were the biggest for a while. And then Texas was just like, well, we're Texas. Yeah. So here we go. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, even to that point about the marshlands and all that, because you have the, the desert over in Arizona too, where they're running out of like whatever is groundwater or underground wells. Or I can't remember what the water, their water, mm-hmm. what's it called? Watershed? No, not watershed. There's aquifers. Aquifers. Are, yeah, yeah. I think that's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Yes. Yeah, so all those are kind of like, like being run dry. Yeah. Underground. All that. So that's obviously a huge issue. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's just a ton of issues with urbanization, but I, I think there, a lot of them are more so because of negligence, which we see as well mm-hmm. with fossil fuels and the like, than it is to, we cannot, sustain what we currently are have or like you know like it's not possible and i don't know so i'm definitely i'm optimistic at the possibility i'm not as optimistic about the probability because i'm hoping humans will end up doing the right thing but obviously in a society like ours of building sustainability correct okay we are constantly chasing the dollar and that is I mean that's that's going to be lead to exploitation of something that's whether it's animals, the environment, other people, and that goes back to your guys' points about poverty, how urbanization creates poverty because people in the rural areas are a lot of times really really poor, but they have a communal living. First of all, their prices are way down, right? They don't pay as much for anything, but then also they have communal living, so people in the area take care of them. Like you're not going to see homeless people because everybody knows that guy. Like oh, we're we're going to bring him in. But urbanization creates a very competitive mentality where every single person, whether you guys like, I don't even know like my neighbors in my apartment building. Like I know a couple of them, but like there's probably, I don't know, a hundred people that live in that building. I probably know three, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like, and I said, <laughs> I, if, yeah. and then the same thing with like your, whatever workforce you're working, like you see everybody's competition and in a way you are all competing for, like you said, like it's a ton of resources piled into one area, but because of exploitation, essentially, there isn't enough for everybody because one person has a billion and one person has <laughs> negative 5,000. Right, yeah. right. I don't want to date date the cast, but in this period of time after COVID, we've been having a lot of open jobs. And I think this speaks straight to what you just said. Uh, I have applied for, I think, 16 now jobs in the Minneapolis Twin Cities area. Um, and I know the process takes time and it's only been maybe a month and a half or so, maybe two months, but, uh, yeah, I haven't heard a yes from anyone, right? Like there is a lot of competition while we say, or have this idea that it's more prosperous, um, and more job ridden. Uh, it just isn't necessarily the case, especially if you're having like, oh, I want to work in a specific area or at a specific thing. So, yeah. I think that's just um consequence of of the urban area yeah and yeah. i think 
to one of the things so some obviously competition is real like that's how we became who we are today right and became top of the food chain all this stuff is through competition with each other intro competition but also enter with other species etc in our own environment but um i think a lot of it is just created right a lot of it is just fabricated from people at the top that want you to work harder or run this rat race and that type of stuff and that is and it's, that's very natural because right? sports is a fabricated competition right it's this whole industry this whole thing we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years because yeah. it's who we are to compete which is that's a that seems like a better more pure form of competition than the kind of pinning neighbors against each other and right. making people fight for scraps of food and i think one i think as we evolve into a more empathetic um society and culture as a globe we will we'll have social programs in place so that you don't need to fight for your life like you might still need to compete to live your dream or to like have your dream job or career or have the honorifics that you want or anything like that but just to survive and live a good life you won't have to um compete in that matter and you won't be kind of brainwashed or funneled into a pipeline of people where you go eighty thousand dollars in debt and now you have all this financial burden so that it's like of course i have to be that one out of ten thousand people that gets into this school and gets this job because i just went a hundred thousand dollars in debt to to get this opportunity right. yeah i think so two things that that uh yeah as far as the competition goes uh i do think one benefit that it has had is driving prices incredibly low uh and and through the internet mm-hmm. the ability to learn is incredibly cheap mm-hmm. uh now outside of higher education obviously and so like i i do think there's a lot more there can be a lot more opportunity if there is a shift in our society uh, as far as living a meaningful life uh for less money uh but then uh beyond that too as far as cooperation goes uh one thing that you made me think of as far as this transition towards a more empathetic society was uh i think it was nikola tesla who uh thought that the future of humanity is one in which queen bees ruled the (laughs) ruled the roost where women were in charge and 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 uh yeah, leading uh, things like cities, organizations like cities. Uh, and one thing that, I mean, I have no idea. I have not looked into it. It might be something to look into as far as a hypothesis goes. But I do think that there is something uh, with uh, men in general or on average where they tend to be more aggressive and more competition oriented whereas women in my obviously my personal experience and so this is my hypothesis but do your research common scientists uh that women tend to be more uh oriented at cooperation and and bringing people together uh and that's only my observation but I mean, maybe there's some truth in that as far as we, as far as the transitioning to more empathetic society goes. I would say that that could be, uh, could be true. I do have kind of a case study, um, in my research, I, I was looking into sustainability and 
my first thought was, oh, crap, I'm seeing all of this National Geographic type stuff that's saying that cities aren't sustainable and I am moving to one. So I wanted to see what the cities were saying about cities, right? Like, what what do they have to say about the sustainability? And so I looked a little bit into Minneapolis city planning and St. Paul city planning, uh, and I just at random chose a project in the urban planning section of the Minneapolis site and came across uh, 38th Street Thrive. Have you heard of it, Dre? No. 38th Street Thrive, Aiden? No. Okay, so uh, in Minneapolis, there was a horrific event that took place um, on May 25th of 2020. I think a lot of people will remember the George Floyd event for for years to come. I hope it's not forgotten. And uh, at random, I just chose to look into this urban planning. I while I'm familiar with the George Floyd event, I, I didn't remember 38th Street. And uh, it's a whole plan to um, revitalize using already existing uh, strengths in that community, uh, that community's rich history. They call it the soul of the city, uh, this historically black community in Minneapolis. And um, a woman is in charge of sort of this project. So to speak to your, your ideas about Aiden, maybe female leadership, and Dre, maybe more empathy, being involved in planning where people don't have to fight for uh, just like a life, right? Um, and yeah, I was amazed paging through this uh, 38th Street Thrive uh, plan the city plan is publicly available, how much complexity goes into just one small, small area of the city. Now, this is a really critical area in Minneapolis, especially considering um, what happened in 2020, but it's amazingly complex. Oh, yeah, it's insane. I uh, I actually, when I went through my quarter-life crisis, (laughs) (laughs) interviewed an urban planner, and uh, she she uh had said that it's incredibly rewarding um projects take an incredibly long amount of time and they are and you will inevitably inevitably be the bad guy to someone because i mean you think about trying to trying to move or or do anything within an urban environment where there's i mean just hundreds of millions of people uh of all sorts of backgrounds and and interests in mind uh but it is it is amazing that like through all of these individual projects emerges emerges uh these complex systems that are cities right and we hope right that they will continue to work forward each of these individual efforts to create a more equitable, more uh, easily sustainable society, and certainly a more sustainable urban center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. One of the, In order to do this in urban areas, in cities, and what's kind of underlying everything that you guys are talking about with those last two examples, which, first of all, yeah, very cool what they're doing. Um, when you said 38th, I imagine it must have been, like, in, you know, 38th in Chicago, that area, Powderhorn and all that. But I was like, 38th Thrive, I haven't really heard that. But that's really cool. And I think, to both of your points, I think there is, like, a definitely an 
an evolutionary and just like a psychological and cultural all that mixed in tendency for women to take on these tasks and it would be interesting to see some some more kind of uh societies led by women one of the issues i think with that is though women who i don't know how many matriarchs there are or how many like prime ministers or whatever have been female throughout human history but i don't think that those societies have necessarily less maybe new zealand i've heard a lot of good things about them but oh, new zealand's doing well yeah they but tamped out the 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 covid crisis yeah real quick yeah so they're doing a lot of amazing things with social reform and social kind of um social programs socialism all that type of stuff which is i don't know i don't know much about new zealand maybe it's a in part a product to them having a female leader i'm not quite sure but i don't think for most societies they've really changed too much in empathy just because they had a female leader like even a couple of years, like ten years ago, if I would have heard that Hillary Clinton, which I think she did run for president, right? She ran against Barack. So if I heard that, yeah, I might like kind of be excited for that because I'm like, oh yeah, like a woman in power. Like I was raised by two women, three women actually, et cetera, et cetera. Like I have a admiration for their what well what appears to be and what a lot I think a lot of studies have shown um, their desire to be collaborative as opposed to competitive. Um, empathetic and to value kind of those type of traits as opposed to simply valuing ambition and sales and this kind of task-oriented things that men and patriarchs have historically valued and but then once I see Hillary Clinton go against Bernie in 2016 I can see what type of which I don't know how she is as a person but I can see how her personality is and kind of what her policies are and how she got to where she is you know so it's like you're still working within a historically patriarchal yeah. um, human s- species. So it's like to get to these points, so many of those kind of things that we might consider feminine have kind of been weeded out throughout the years, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And mm-hmm. feel free to push back on that at all. Um, but that's just kind of how I've seen it. And I'm just like, hmm, I don't exactly know how it's kind of like the classic um, question like how do you how do you expect to change the system within the system and like right. that's kind of where we get we run beat our heads against mm-hmm. the wall so I don't know what makes New Zealand special obviously something smaller like you're saying we're just taking one neighborhood of course that level of empathy can be can shine because you're in a co- actual community and that's one of the biggest problems with urbanization is a lack of community like i said my apartment complex when the george floyd stuff happened we did become more of a community because it was just right down the street from us which was really cool to see and a lot of us did become quote-unquote friends um we had a similar we were bonded by a similar kind of fear and strife and fight that a lot of us were going through at that time which was awesome but in general organization it's like no like that person next to you doesn't have your last name they're not blood related to you a lot of them don't look like you um they don't have yeah. the same teacher as you they don't have the same master or sensei vocational leader whatever as you so you have no commonality other than you live right next to each other mm-hmm. and that's a huge problem so if somehow we can figure out how to make everybody in the state in the city in america and the world feel like one common thing yeah then we could have a global community yeah i hear i hear you that um have are you either of you familiar with dunbar's number 
Okay. Go ahead. So to keep it brief, it's just he's a cognitive psychologist who uh, hypothesized that people can only keep track of like up to 150 people. Gotcha. In terms of their relationships, names, their backgrounds, all those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what you're you're saying, how we've kind of overcome that, is by having a, something bigger than us to believe in, and something, uh, yeah, just <laughs> bigger than us to believe in, and and I think, uh, yeah, moving moving the the needle towards more of this global community, like we are all human. Uh, kind of <laughs> from my humanist perspective, but like we are all like one species trying to survive uh like having th- that sort of mentality can help uh move people uh away from uh kind of the tribalism of of the of today um but yeah i i, I think that's super super true that it is incredibly important that we need to have some uh unified story where uh where w- uh, we can move forward together and cooperate together. A unified story. I like that. And Dre, I think what you said was spoken quite eloquently that, uh, in some ways, and now I'm paraphrasing, but in some ways we seem to live in a more isolated society than ever, despite being in a more urban situation than ever, at least in Minnesota for sure. And, um, I hope that that can be reconciled both at an individual level, then also at a human and society level of, of humanness and of a global population. Uh, and then finally, of course, for the environment so that what we can be building is sustainable. And I think I would have to do more research for sure specifically to look into female leadership and how that's affect societies i'm just not familiar enough he said you can push back well i don't feel like i don't have any grounds to push back uh but that might be another interesting topic for a future cast needless to say though that i think um we have talked about vision on both ends some really positive vision for urban centers some major problems for for urban centers and and problems due to urbanization but i think this cast more than anything for me just encouraged isn't going to encourage me to think more critically about my move to the cities and what that means for my community and how i might be a more engaged uh person who lives in an urban center i don't know if you guys resonate with any of that Oh yeah, uh, like any common science uh, episode, it only raises more questions and and excites me more to to learn more. Absolutely, but good to ask questions today about urbanization and learn with each other a little bit about uh, what urbanization means for the world, what it means for us as individuals, and what it might mean for your community at home as a common scientist. Hey, common scientists! Hope you enjoyed the cast. Thanks for investing in common science. We hope it brought as much value to you as it did to us. To learn more, smash the subscribe button and visit our website, commonscientists.com, where you can read our blog, join our email newsletter, and follow us on social media. Finally, if you like what we have to say, you can absolutely support us on Patreon. We can always use more support. You can navigate there also from our website, commonscientists.com, common scientists with an S, so that we can continue cultivating a community of common scientists.